next psalm, which is 131, which is part of what Nigel's going to speak to us about. He's going to speak from Philippians 4, and uh, he's going to relate that back to what is a very short three-verse psalm, Psalm 131. My heart is not proud, O Lord. My eyes are not haughty. I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me, but I have stilled and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, put your hope in the Lord, both now and forevermore. O Israel, put your hope in the Lord, both now and forevermore. Let's sing in this, this. I wouldn't disagree in that adjusting to the circumstances that we're in it is difficult to be content. I find it difficult. And as with all of my sermons, I'm not prepared to preach a sermon to someone else that I, I wouldn't be prepared to listen to or preach to myself. Uh, it's, it's, um, I wouldn't expect other people to seek to live up to something else that I'm not prepared to seek to live up to myself. However, contentment is not unattainable. It is attainable, no matter what our circumstances may be. It is also desirable. And contented people testify to contentment as being one of their greatest possessions. The Apostle Paul would be a supreme example of this. Which brings me to my reading, which is in the, the next couple of slides here, from Philippians chapter 4, verse 10 to 13, where Paul, writing from prison, writes these words, I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through Him who gives me strength. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. It's attainable. And in addition, on a similar theme in writing to Timothy in 1 Timothy 6, verse 6, he says, Godliness with contentment is great gain. Godliness with contentment is great gain. We can lack contentment. That's the grumpy cat, by the way. He's, I believe, has gone to the, uh, the cat mansion in the sky now, poor thing, but uh, doesn't look very happy there. We can lack contentment, and many of us do. How content are you with life at present? Joy Almond, who's one of the authors of the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association, 
describes various scenarios in life that illustrate what it is to be discontented. I'll read these to you. Bill works a very difficult, underappreciated job that barely allows him to make ends meet. His brother, on the other hand, has a six-figure salary because he just happened to be at the right place at the right time. Kathy and Jim have been trying to become parents for eight years. All of their friends are having their third and second children, and they wonder when it's going to be their turn. Michelle is rarely satisfied and easily bored. She's always looking for the next best thing, whether it's houses, cars, clothes, and jobs. She usually feels the need to be one up on her friends. John thinks he would be better off married to someone else. Jenny thinks that she would be better off just married to someone. And the list could go on of the kind of scenarios in life that can lead us to feeling unhappy, perhaps grumpy, certainly discontent. So is it possible then to be content irrespective of our circumstances in life? Paul says, yes, it is possible. What is discontentment? I've got a feeling that discontentment is as much about our character as it is about our circumstances. In one of the churches I served, and I'll change the names here to hide identities, the church service began at 10.30 in the morning. There was all, somebody who was inevitably, well, all, nearly always late, five minutes late, in fact. This person would turn up, church five minutes late, 25 to 11, sure, she'd be there. Let's call her Shirley, shall we? She would turn up five minutes late. The day came when we decided that we would switch the time of the church service to 11 o'clock, and I thought, this will cure the matter. She's going to have another half hour. What happened? We turned it to 11 o'clock, and sure enough, Shirley turned up at 5 past 11 every Sunday. It was about character, not circumstances. And I think the same can be said about disappointment being disappointed with circumstances, with changes. A person's circumstances don't necessarily lead to um, contentment when those circumstances change. Altering a person's character can. Some people are just never happy. John D. Rockefeller, one of the wealthiest people who ever lived, was asked, how much money is enough money? And this man, billions, billions of dollars, wealthy, rich. How much money is enough money? What was his reply? Just a little more. It's hard to believe that. It tells us something about his character. No matter how wealthy he was, he still appears to have been discontented, always looking 
for more. I'm sure that philanthropists like Bill Gates have found a different path and happiness in giving his wealth away to charitable causes. As Jesus said, it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. So what is contentment? It's helpful to look at the original languages, and it's not difficult these days. You can look at a Greek interlinear online if you're online or on a mobile phone or on a smartphone, and you can read what the Greek word says. You can look up the Greek word. You can find out what it means. And the Greek word for this is uh, autarkia. Well, the word autarkia is defined as a perfect condition of life in which no aid or support is needed. That's what Paul is describing when he uses the word contentment. Sufficiency of the necessities of life. This was a word that was used at the time in the world of economics, meaning self-sufficient. But the actual word is related to another word spelt in exactly the same way but pronounced differently. Content. 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 It's the same root verb. By contentment, Paul means that he needs nothing more than he already has inside of him in order to be satisfied. Essentially, with Christ in us, we have sufficient. And that's what Paul is describing. In his relationship with God, with Christ in him, he needed nothing else in order to be satisfied. It reminds me of the theme of a song as I was preparing this. It came to me. Now, none but Christ can satisfy, nor another name for me. There's love and life and lasting joy. Lord Jesus, found in thee. And there was the woman at the well. Remember the story of Jesus going to the woman at the well? And he asked her for water, and he said to her that if you had given me water, uh, he would have given her living water. And uh, he says to her that those who drink from this well will thirst again, but the water that I will give them will they will never thirst again. And it's a theme of another old hymn we used to sing. No, never thirst again, and he that drinketh, Jesus said, shall never, never thirst again. It's the satisfaction that comes in a relationship with God through Christ. And that cannot be threatened by changes in circumstances in the same way. We can learn contentment. This is Rembrandt, Rembrandt's version of Paul in prison. And he was often imprisoned, more than once at least, for, the, for preaching the gospel of Christ. And as we, we think of, of Paul in prison, he experiences social isolation. People are experiencing at this time social isolation. But he could experience social isolation 
and give praise to God. He was imprisoned for preaching the gospel. And yet, he can say, I've learned to be content in any and every situation. He was single, at least at the time of writing the New Testament letters, whether he was widowed or divorced, we don't know. But he focused on the advantages of this for him. He experienced injustice. He was beaten with rods, even though he was a Roman citizen. He chose not to report it to the authorities. He experienced hardship. And in the New Testament, in one of the letters, a whole list of the hardships that he went through, including beatings and hunger and shipwreck, to name but a few. And I'm sure that contentment did not come to Paul easily. It didn't just drop in, as it were. He learned to be content in any and every situation. He chose to have an attitude of gratitude because his sufferings were part of the cost of serving Christ. What he writes earlier in the letter to Philippians tells us, uh, or lets us know this. He says, he says this, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of His resurrection and participation in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death and so somehow attaining to the resurrection of the dead. I want to know Christ, he says. He already knows Christ, but he wants to know Him more. It's about a relationship. He wants to be enriched in that relationship with the Savior. Paul doesn't say, I want to get rich. He doesn't say, oh, I need a holiday. He says, I want to know Christ. You know, ask Paul, What's the most important thing in your life at this time? I want to know Christ, because none but Christ can satisfy. For Christ, he had surrendered everything else that he had invested investments in. He had lost everything. He'd given up everything for Christ. His relationship with Christ was so fulfilling that material possessions meant nothing to him anymore. George MacDonald wrote, to have what we want is riches, but to be able to do without is power. To have shoes is a good thing. To be able to walk without them is better. Paul had no riches. Therefore, riches had no power over him to hurt him if he lost them. And the more we invest in our relationship with God and Christ's purpose for our life here on earth, the less important material possessions will be 
to us. Paul's joy and contentment came from seeking first the kingdom of God. We can lose contentment. When I was preparing this, I happened to pop around the corner to the local DIY shop, and as I was walking by, uh, uh, there's a lady on the other side of the, of the street uh, was looking at a beautiful, magnificent white 4 before vehicle she'd just got out of. And on the back wing was a dark black scratch. And she was peering over this long mark on the wing, the back wing, wondering how it got there. And I thought about that as I passed by. Thought, what's she going to do when she gets back in the car? Is she going to be saying to herself, I'm so glad that I'm able to drive. I'm so glad that I can afford to have a vehicle like this. Or she's going to be thinking, my nice new vehicle, spoiled. Who's done that? And brooding and ruminating over the fact that the vehicle's been damaged. I would imagine the latter rather than the former. And I would probably do the same to be honest, because the more I get invested in things that I enjoy, and we all do it, when they get spoiled, it can take away our sense of contentment, depending on how much our pleasure is invested in things. We can lose it. We think we've got it until something that we didn't think we were so invested in is taken from us, and then we feel it. It illustrates to us the place of choice. Choosing to seek contentment in things will inevitably lead to discontentment. Choosing instead to set our affections on Christ, on things above, is more, far more likely to lead to the contentment that we can own, enjoy, and prize. When we lose things, we can become angry, jealous, disappointed, full of regret, discontent, and it tells us what things really matter to us. The more invested we are in things, the greater chance that we have of our lives becoming miserable when we lose them. But the more we're invested in Christ, the more contented we can be. Paul, in writing to Timothy, said this, we brought nothing into the world, and we take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap, and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. In closing, we can be lifted by contentment. Paul says, 1 Timothy 6, verse 6, godliness with contentment is great gain. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Contentment doesn't come naturally to us. It's something we learn. 
to be. When things happen that we wish would not happen, when things don't happen that we wish would happen, these are the opportunities to relearn contentment, to trust, to learn to accept, and to choose to be content as we recommit our lives and our way to Christ. And I'll finish with the words of Jesus from the Sermon on the Mount. Do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or what you'll drink, or your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothes? But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be given you as well. So the secret of being content I don't know how you're feeling today on a, a scale of naught to ten in terms of the discontent at naught and ten, the contentment. But if you want to move up the scale towards contentment, there is a way for us as Christian believers to re-surrender our lives afresh to God, to hold the things that God has given us lightly with an open hand, not like a child who grasp something and doesn't want to let go, but with an open hand that God may take it from us, who gave it to us. And in re-surrendering our lives to Christ to live under His Lordship in all of our ways, seeking first the kingdom of God and His righteousness can lead to a contentment that nothing can take away. That's a sermon for me.